Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. neighbors it's the end of the week time to look back on the big news of the week with three of washington's top journalists and as always there is lots to talk about rocked by polls showing him losing to joe biden by double digits both nationwide and in several key swing states donald trump brings in a new campaign manager is he just rearranging chairs on the deck of the titanic Meanwhile, the battle over schools, Donald Trump says, open them up, but the CDC says, hey, not so fast. So who decides what's best for parents, teachers, and kids? And Dr. Fauci comes under fire from top White House aides. Is his job on the line? In the middle of a, temp of a pandemic, would Trump dare to fire the nation's top health official? All of that and more with today's panel. Here we go. Eddie Bear joins us back again, political reporter for BuzzFeed News. Hello, Eddie. Hi, Bill. Good to have you with us. Sudeep Reddy joining us again, managing editor from Politico. Hello, Sudeep. Hi, Bill. And making his uh, first uh, long-awaited appearance fan on the Bill Press Pod, Van Newkirk, senior editor, if you please, of The Atlantic and host of the podcast Floodlines. Hello, Van. Welcome. Hi, Bill. Thanks for having me. All right. So, uh, friends, let me ask you this. Here's something I can't figure out, okay? We are in the middle of a pandemic which is ravaging this country. Latest figures this morning, 3.5 million cases in the United States, 138,000 dead. 39 states are reporting an increase in cases. Yesterday was yet another new record in the number of new cases and the number of new deaths reported. They're calling it the Sun Belt Surge. We're about 110 days from the election. And with all that going on, the president is saying nothing about it. How long, Sudeep, how long can he get away with this? He can get away with it as long as he thinks he can get away with it. It's a one-man show. And the president uh, wants all of the troubles to go away, and he thinks if he doesn't talk about them, then they won't be a problem. What obviously happens is that when he doesn't talk about them, um, the, the, the machinery of the government is working, but it's not working effectively because the wrath of Trump, the attention of Trump, actually can make a difference here. He has not only government machinery that he can mobilize, but his supporters, too. His supporters are the ones getting coronavirus and dying. Those are voters. And eventually he's going to recognize that. My expectation all along is that the president pays attention when the stock market pays attention. And the stock market is uh, sitting pretty right now, but that can change in a day at any moment, just like it did in late February and uh, just like it did at other points over the course of this presidency. Uh, so, Addy, what is he talking about? Well, yesterday we heard an example. Here he is in the, on the south lawn of the White House um, talking about the major issues of the day. Donald Trump. So shower heads, you take a shower, the water doesn't come out. You want to wash your hands, the water doesn't come out. 
So what do you do? You just stand there longer or you take a shower longer? Because my hair, I don't know about you, but it has to be perfect. Dishwashers, you didn't have any water, so you, the people that do the dishes, you press it and it goes again, and you do it again and again. So you might as well give them the water because you'll end up using less water. So we made it so dishwashers now have a lot more water, and in many places, in most places of the country, water is not a problem. They don't know what to do with it. It's called rain. Uh, hello, Ed. <laughs> he's running. He's, he, he's running for re-election. This is his platform. Okay. What, um, again, what happened to COVID nineteen? I mean, listen. There's two things here. The first, I'm sorry, this is an incisive political analysis, but someone took that quote yesterday on Twitter and put it in a speech bubble of Jerry Seinfeld doing stand-up. <laughs> yeah. And now it's all I can hear is like Jerry Seinfeld's voice like talking about showers and I and it makes it makes me laugh so hard. Um but but Bill, it's it's exactly like what we were what we were talking about a little just a minute ago. You know, the president thinks that he's kind of a person who thinks if you can't see it, it doesn't exist. And so he doesn't like to talk about the coronavirus pandemic because then it would exist and then he would have to deal with it. Um, he very much uh, functions in a way where he has his own little world um, where it's it's the things that he cares about and the issues that he cares about. Um, and until that doesn't work for his base and the people who, um, you know, he needs the support of to get reelected, he's just going to keep ignoring it. But then at some point, and I would say probably now, I mean, this is his pandemic, right? I mean, he, he can't shuff it off on somebody, anybody else, Joe Biden or Barack Obama anymore, right? Well, Seven months in, it's his. Well, All that's right. what you think. <laughs> yeah. <okay. laughs> uh, yeah. I, I think uh, the, the, the gamble, the bet here is that there are still places and people to pass this buck on to. Um, right now, I mean, I think one maybe good thing for him is you see Southern governors. And you know, I, I follow this closely. I'm a Carolinian. My mother's back home. She's immune compromised. So this means a, a lot to me personally. Um, you know, you see Southern governors who are maybe not also doing a whole mm -hmm. lot of good in containing the pandemic. Um, and so Trump may actually, in these places, benefit a little bit from stuff like uh, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp uh, preempting all cities and municipalities that want to have mask mandates and saying you can't do that. Um, I think right. if we know anything about the president is that there will always be somebody else that uh, he we can maybe turn the blame and deflect to. And I guess that's the strategy here. Yeah. I don't know who it well, is, but it's somebody. Yeah. Uh, well, we, maybe Dr. Fauci, and we'll get to that in just a minute. But Sudeep, there, the connection here, it seems to me, for Trump that's perilous is he really wanted to run on the economy. I think he still wants to run on the economy, right? But I mean, there's a direct tie to how fast we come out of the pandemic and how fast the economy can rebound. 
You know, the, the president actually did make an understandable move in March where he realized the virus is what matters. The virus will determine the economy. And he did it after everyone else decided that. He did it in mid-March after businesses and state and local governments that across the country had already shut down. This was after the NBA and NFL and NHL and MLB already decided what they were going to do. And so he's a follower in this case and not a leader. It's obvious now that the economy is not going to function as long as the virus is raging, um, but it's obvious um, also to Trump that he doesn't want to be responsible for the decisions to shut anything down. Um, that is the strategy right now. It's to leave things to, uh, to state and local officials to make those bad political decisions, uh, meaning bad as in they, they will have blowback. Um, but it's a scrambled mess because they're not leaving the local and state school district decisions uh, to uh, local officials. They're trying to intervene there. So you can't have it both ways. You either leave it to local officials or you don't. And he's stuck in, in uh, this political positioning. Yeah, well, that gets us to the schools, Addy, which is the, the big, it was a big issue of this week where uh, the president and the vice president both said, look, school's got to open up, you know, to full, full bore day one. Everybody comes in every day, teachers, students, because kids basically can't get this disease anyhow. So what's the problem? And, you know, the CDC and Dr. Fauci and a lot of governors and mayors are saying, like, not so fast. I mean, Eddie and, and I'm Vanna gets your comments, too. This really gets to imp impacting millions and millions and millions of American families. Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, what I'll say is I feel like I've had this exact conversation with you on this exact podcast about a whole bunch of different things, whether it was reopening businesses, whether it was it, it is that the Trump administration does not want the economy to come to a halt and parents cannot go back to work, many of them, without child care. And so that is sort of the root of this um, this really this this really strong push to get kids back into schools. The fact of the matter is whether or not um you know, kids are affected by the coronavirus differently than older people. But the the question of whether they can spread um, the virus seems pretty clear that, that children are able to spread the virus to other more vulnerable people. Opening schools is absolutely going to put people at risk for that reason. Um, it, it is more complicated than just saying, oh, kids, you know, don't kids don't really get the get the disease in the way that older people do. It is significantly more complicated than that. And when you start talking to teachers, and there's been a lot of great reporting about this, teachers are basically saying, I love my job, but I don't want to risk my life for this. Right. Uh, yeah, I saw online somewhere yesterday, a full screen with dozens and dozens of photos of kids, young kids who have died from COVID uh, a, 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 as well. So Van, um, who, en who ends up making the decision here? I think we'll see. Um, I mean, uh, what we do know is, is the federal government actually doesn't have a whole lot of power in the right. actual legal um, uh, conversation yeah. happening here, but I think they are doing a whole lot of table setting and creating the rhetoric uh, that I think local governments, uh, state governments are already using. Um, you look at, again, I, I was talking about Georgia. 
Cobb County, Georgia, just had a really big controversy um, because they were considering uh, making school, uh, making in-person attendance in school mandatory. They rolled that back. Uh, But clearly that rhetoric from the White House is informing those local conversations. Um, You know, I'm not terribly hopeful over uh, the prospects of uh, school, of of people being safe about school in the fall. Um, I think we look at daycares in Texas, we've already seen a a really big coronavirus cluster emerging in daycares there, which if you extrapolate the schools, uh, it it can be pretty bad in the fall. And, um, you know, uh, the way that we've eroded the power of teachers, especially to actually uh, have any pushback against that type of policy seems like uh, a lot of people who are interested in doing what they believe is the economically expedient thing, which is opening schools up, uh, might get their say. Right. Uh, by the way, parenthetically, I have to say in the press family, one uh, family with uh, young elementary school children in uh, the state of Oregon and the other in the state of California, um, both of our sons, and, and we've talked to them and their wives, um, they know uh, that our grandkids are not going to be in school in the fall. They're just, it's got all going to be online. They're just, uh, there's no way that the, those schools will be uh, will be reopened. So eventually, I guess it is uh, the local decision. And, and so deep, this also gets back to the politics. I keep circling back to the impact this has on this e- election we're in the middle of. Uh, we saw this week an ad actually was number one on Twitter until Twitter, for some reason, took it down, an ad produced by uh, author Don Winslow about Donald Trump and the schools uh, issue. There's no greater bond on earth than the one between a mother and her child. You have loved, cared for, nurtured, developed, and protected your child. Now Donald Trump wants you to abandon your most primal and powerful motherly instinct to protect your child. All it takes is one person to be sick, just one to infect your child. Trump is so desperate to get reelected that he's threatening to defund schools for simply trying to protect their students. Donald Trump wants you to hurt your own child for his reelection. This isn't a choice between Trump or Biden. This is a choice between Trump and your child. Pretty hard hitting, Sudeep. Maybe a little over the line, but uh, it's home. It, it, it does for, for some people. The, the Trump campaign here and the president are betting on uh, the, the parents who are just frustrated with what they've seen over the last three or four months of having their kids at home and realize they just want to get, get on with it. Um, that, that lasts for only so long. There, there are uh, a group of people, the campaign thinks of them as, as suburban moms who want their kids in school. Um, there are plenty of uh, Americans who really do want their kids to go to school and see it as lower risk relative to keeping them at home and, and uh, having them play Fortnite uh, all, all night. Uh, and the, the problem is that only works until you actually get to the reality of opening the schools. If you open the schools, um, school districts have recognized that you're just going to shut them down again in a few weeks once you have COVID spreading. Mm-hmm. That's not going to that's not going to solve any, any problems. You have to get to the underlying disease. And that's, that is the thing that Trump and the, the White House don't seem to really grasp at the scale that they need to, that you must control the disease now 
if you want to have any hope of even having school in October. Like September is a wash for a lot of places. But if you control the disease now, the CDC has said it can be con- contained in four to eight weeks if everyone wears, wears a mask, if everyone follows basic procedures. And that could actually put Trump on track to have a resurgence in late September and early October, which is his last best hope for for getting anywhere in this this election because his chances are dwindling by the minute. You know, you mentioned masks. Um, Van, Van, we saw this week that uh, Sudeep just mentioned the head of the CDC says, yeah, if we wear a mask, if every, just total contradictory to what Donald Trump has been saying. Everybody wears a mask. We could knock this down in four to six weeks. And this week you had CVS and Target and Walmart, of all places, right, say you must wear a mask to come into our stores. So does this finally take the mask out of the political realm, right? It's, it's no longer a pro-Trump or anti-Trump statement? I hope so. Um, I think uh, one thing I was actually waiting on uh, in this whole debate was w- how private companies were going to respond. Um, and I, I think you see a lot of places, especially those that still have lots of internal foot traffic, are making those calls, are doing what is basically, you know, the 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 public health common sense right now. Everybody knows that masks are going to be required both outdoors and indoors in some cases to reduce the spread of this thing. Um, I'm still waiting to see uh, how these state interactions with preempts are going to work, whether southern states are going to continue to preempt local laws uh, that are requiring masks, because I Mm -hmm. think that's the last frontier. But I do think uh, Walmart, CVS, those places requiring are going to reduce, they're going to lower the stakes. um, And we need desperately to have the stakes lowered. Hey, Addy, I didn't check yet this morning, but uh, does Dr. Fauci still have a job? I mean, I just looked at Twitter, and it seems like Dr. Fauci still has a job, as of this moment. <laughs> uh, uh, are we really supposed to believe that Donald Trump has nothing to do with these attacks on the part of White House staffers against Donald, uh, Dr. Fauci? Oh, I mean, no, we're not. Um, um, I think there's a couple a couple things here. Uh, the Fauci thing honestly kind of reminds me a little bit of, of that conversation that swirled for months and months about whether and if and when Trump was going to fire Mueller, where it was just kind of like this, this feeling where there would be these leaks out of the White House of people, you know, saying that he wanted to and Trump would be tweeting, you know, criticizing him. But it just slowly he kept not getting fired and kept not getting fired. And and that's kind of how the Fauci thing feels to, to me a little bit, that it's just kind of this drip, drip drip of of kind of leaks and criticism out of the white house and honestly it's 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 a fascinating media story and in and in some ways a disappointing media story um because the way that this kind of began was with um you know, a kind of a list of, of complaints uh, that got leaked anonymously out of the White House about things that Fauci had been um, incorrect about. Uh, and and it was just a fascinating thing to see this this spread. And then there was a pushback of you can't let you can't let, um, you know, members of the Trump administration anonymously um, criticize Dr. Fauci. It's just it's a complicated mess that continues to spiral. So who's next to deep mother Teresa? (laughs) (laughs) 
it, it, it is unusual who the president chooses to pick fights with, um, and he'll 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 find a, a way uh, for anybody who disagrees with him. Uh, and th- this is this one is just most baffling because um, in the end, once you you watch this virus get worse the president is going to lose more and more people along the way. It's just, it, it, it just does not make any sense. It's bizarre as, as, uh, as can be. And Fauci is looking at this and thinking, no, everyone in America wants life to get back to normal. That's what they want. And the way to get back to normal is by getting this thing under control. It's just, it's, it's wild. But, uh, it- yeah. Yeah, no, it, it, it is indeed. And also on another front, a big shakeup in the Trump campaign. Let's take a quick break and we'll get to that and some of the, the issues, some of the other issues of the week here with today's panel. Sudeep Reddy from Politico, Van Newkirk from The Atlantic, and Addie Baird from BuzzFeed News. Today's roundtable brought to you by the United Food and Commercial Workers Union. 1.3 million men and women strong members of the UFCW under President Mark Perrone. They are on the front line serving us these days in the middle of this coronavirus pandemic. Uh, The ones who serve us in our major grocery stores, big retail chains, packing and processing plants, chemical factories, the cannabis industry, and in our distilleries right on the front lines every day. We thank them for their good work and thank them especially for their support of the Bill Press Pod. Check out their website at ufcw.org. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
And we're back with today's roundtable. Sadiq Reddy from Politico, uh, Addie Baird from BuzzFeed News, Van Newkirk joining us from The Atlantic. Big shakeup in the Trump campaign this week. Donald Trump replacing Pratt Pascal as campaign manager with a veteran political strategist, Bill Stepien. Van, why and does it make any difference? I think, uh, at least as far as I'm understanding it, um, it seems to be one of the few moves they can really uh, pull off that suggests they are taking uh, his, uh, the really concerning polls for the Trump campaign seriously. What else can you do? Um, I mean, you, you can't replace the guy who's actually responsible for creating all the the bad polling. Uh, and obviously, I think uh, Parscale is kind of the, you know, the, the highest profile person on the campaign. I don't even know if it's truly a demotion, if, you know, how what actually uh, behind the scenes, if his duties are really going to change, what are his duties actually, you know, in, uh, entail that the president doesn't already have a full control over anyways, you know, like, so, so we'll see. But to me, it seems to be uh, de facto window dressing, uh, just trying to do whatever they can uh, to make a change, to say they're taking this seriously and to uh, try to do something new, I guess. But, Addy, isn't it true that the real campaign manager is Donald Trump? Has been, always will be, right? Absolutely. I think Van's Van's description of it as window dressing is perfect because, um, you know, the fact of the matter is... um, it's there's not a lot that can change about this campaign without Trump's direction, without his approval and what he wants, he gets. Um, and so it, it's it's not really I don't expect this campaign shakeup to result, you know, in a month or two um, us saying, wow, this campaign really took a turn, you know, um, you know, in <laughs> mid-July. <laughs> When Brad Pascal marched marched out, right? Exactly. Yeah. So meanwhile, and Sadiq, you alluded to this a little earlier, the Trump campaign, uh, we learn now, is really being run uh, not out of the Trump headquarters in Arlington, but out of the White House. I mean, the president this week made two flat-out campaign speeches, total campaign speeches from the Rose Garden and one from the South Lawn. Uh, we've never seen that before, not even Richard Nixon. It is unusual. It, it was quite jarring to to sit here and watch uh, what was going on of, of what in one case was supposed to be a, a very serious announcement about uh, uh, Hong Kong and China um, and then veered into all sorts of things about Biden and Hunter Biden and just everything under the sun. Uh, I was fully expecting to hear about dishwashers uh, and showerheads at that point as well. Uh, in that in that speech, and what what's happening here is the president is uh, just losing uh, his his venues. He's losing um, the things that make him feel comfortable: the rallies, uh, the the adoring fans, all the things that he wants. He wants to be heard, and when he's sitting uh, in his bedroom watching Fox News or in his private dining room watching Fox News all day long, he he just doesn't have enough, and they. The White House a few months ago was really working hard to put more events around him so that he could speak. Um, but even then, he kept really causing more trouble. And so they then tried to get him to not speak. But it, it, Trump is in charge. Trump is going to do what he wants to do. It doesn't matter what his, who his campaign manager is. It doesn't matter 
uh, whether he's on his first, second, third, or fourth chief of staff, Trump will be Trump, and nobody is going to change that. Yeah, and I guess I'm old-fashioned, but I really just thought that you did not campaign, you did not hold political events in the White House. I thought everybody accepted that, but obviously not Donald Trump. Meanwhile, let's take a look at Joe Biden. Joe Biden's numbers, polling numbers have been pretty good, as well as his fundraising numbers. He outraised Donald Trump for the last two months. Um, Donald Trump now has $295 million in the bank, but Joe Biden caught up in June and is now sitting with $242 million in the bank. So, um, Van, it looks like, I don't know whose turn it is here, Van, it looks like the basement strategy is working. Yeah. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, yeah, you just basically, I mean, especially in the middle of everything that's happening this summer, uh, the only sensible strategy is just to let the president do his thing, uh, and I guess he's doing his thing. Uh, but really, uh, the, this has been the first month in, to me in the last uh, four, five years, and, and you know, everybody, let me know if, if this feels the same way to you, in which this weird sort of uh, baseline analysis of Trump where we cannot trust the polls, we cannot trust fundraising because of the way in which he won in 2016, mm -hmm. you know, we don't trust anything because like it all seems to have fallen apart. Our conventional wisdom fell apart in 2016. This seems to be the first month in which people are actually willing to kind of go out and, and trust the numbers they're seeing. Uh, I saw 538 is, is saying, uh, even if you... Uh, take away the artifact of the error that was inherent in the polling in 2016. Biden's went, uh, you know, ahead in the polls pretty robustly, even in places like Georgia and North Carolina, which would be a big deal. Uh, and, and I think this, to me, seems to be the first time when people who have were burned pretty badly by 2016 are coming out and saying Biden appears to really be in the lead here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's an excellent point. And Addie, we've seen that in the uh, stories that the Biden campaign is expanding its reach, maybe not publicly, dramatically, but in ways where they're seeing that other st states are in play, which they might not have considered before, including the state of Texas, where the last poll that I showed showed Biden was actually tied with Trump in Texas. And here's an ad that the uh, Biden campaign ran this week in Texas. I'm thinking of all of you today across Texas. I know the rise in case numbers is causing fear and apprehension. People are frightened. This virus is tough, but Texas is tougher. I want every single American to know, if you're sick, if you're struggling, if you're worried about how you're going to get through the day, I will not abandon you. We're all in this together. We'll fight this together. Hard to believe Biden a player in Texas, but Addie, what do you see? I mean, it's interesting, right? Because it, it's been a lot of years that we have talked about Texas becoming a more purple state. Right. And, um, you know, it, it, that obviously coincides with Texas becoming a more majority and minority state. And I think that, um, you know, it's just going to be really, really interesting to see if this is the year that there is some sort of tipping point. And it's hard for me to even fathom a Democrat 
winning in Texas, no matter the circumstances. But I think it will be interesting to see, you know, if it is less of a blowout in Texas than it typically than it typically has been in general elections there. Um, I'm from Utah, which is another kind of funky <laughs> state in, in this situation. You know, Mormon voters have a real problem with Donald Trump, um, but they also have a real problem with Democrats in general. Um, and it, it's a state that is uh, getting hit kind of harder that, you know, as, as, as we see this virus kind of taking its toll, um, in the West and, and, um, you know, in states where it hadn't hit as hard before, Utah is also one of those places. Obviously Texas is one of those places. And, um, you know, like Van or Sudeep mentioned, if there is an outbreak in, uh, late September, early October, as we head closer to election day, especially if people are voting by mail, which Utah is a vote by mail state, people are voting before the actual election day. And um, I just think it's going to be really, really interesting to see um, how this how this all plays out. And, and I think there's a part of me that goes, don't believe anything, all of these polls, all of this, it's this like 2016 trauma. But in some ways, you have to look at what's actually happening right now. And, and I think Van's absolutely right that this is the first month where it's started to feel like, huh, like, maybe there is something to to this data that, that we're seeing. Well, I hate to pop your bubble, Addie, but Utah is not going to turn blue. Oh, uh, I certainly don't think it will. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's, that's not at all what I meant to say. I, meant, I, I, I don't think that Texas will either, but I think it's interesting yeah. to watch some of the underlying, um, the underlying movement in these yeah. states. And, you know, uh, as a Texan myself, uh, uh, there you been, go. <laughs> uh, I'll bring the Texas. I don't know anything about Utah, but the, the, the Texas side of this is, is interesting. Obviously, it's uh, it's a, a red state overall. But what we've seen over the last two decades, and I was I remember just my jaw dropping when I saw this while working in Texas in the early two thousands. Um, you saw these counties start to go blue. Um, the urban areas of Texas, Dallas County, when it went went blue, that was a, a real change. And you you see this obviously uh, Travis County, Austin uh, is blue. Um, you'll you'll see this over and over in red states and. And what we're seeing with the virus now, it was first a blue state issue. Uh, now it's a red state issue. But in the red states, it's actually a blue county issue. And that's going to have some profound mm-hmm. effects on the election because it is really just exacerbating the urban-rural divide we've been talking about for the last four years. Um, there's a difference in how uh, urban voters see, see America versus how rural voters. And that is what Donald Trump has been betting on uh, all along, but now it's just getting far worse. And when you have angry voters uh, in a down economy, um, you, you really don't have a whole lot to stand on. And uh, it's not just about Donald Trump here now. It's about uh, re- uh, Republicans across the, uh, the spectrum, all up and down the ballot, who have to be very concerned about what they're seeing. All right. So it, very interesting conversation so far. But of course, all of this is just the buildup. All of this is a lead up to the number one news story of the week, which we've saved to the last here. Van, never, never, never are we going to change the name of Washington's football team. Oh, guess, wow. Like, I guess mean, what happened this week? <laughs> <laughs> You know, so I live in uh, Prince George's County, 
Uh, and uh, so, you know, I, I, I drove past the stadium often going to work. Um, you know, it, it's uh, my grandfather is a, a big fan. Uh, we used to have, you know, arguments back home over his uh, propensity to wearing uh, his jerseys to every single function he possibly could. Um, it seems like some constant in the universe has just been erased overnight. <laughs> <laughs> right, and Dan Snyder, uh, Addy, and, and uh, Sadiq, if you want to weigh in, I mean, he because he said never in my lifetime, never ever would we consider changing the name. Uh, not until FedEx said you don't get our money anymore. I guess, huh? Right. <laughs> isn't, isn't it interesting that for for so many years, uh, Native American groups and DC activists um, have been saying, "Please, you have to change this racist name." And when FedEx said change the racist name, oh boy, it's a whole new world. <laughs> This entire uh, episode is just remarkable because it's, it's showing once again the power that corporations have in our lives, the, the power that, that everyday businesses have. Uh, businesses are the ones determining the pandemic. Businesses are the ones that were lobbied early on after the death of George Floyd, after the killing, uh, his mm -hmm. killing by Minneapolis police. Uh, businesses were the ones that were lobbied on Black Lives Matter. Businesses are the ones that led the way. Businesses are the ones that are reshaping what's happening in Fox News. Businesses, the, the, the corporate world's power here to use its money in effective ways is profound. And that will matter for the election. It'll matter for climate change. It'll matter for health care. It'll matter, matter for all sorts of, of, of things. And this is what we've seen. It's just in under two months, the entire landscape of race uh, in America has, has shifted in a way that it hadn't for decades. And like the Redskins is just like, that's just like the icing. Uh, but in so many ways, it, it's showing how powerful um, and how quickly change can come when we least expect it. Do you agree well, with that? Go ahead, Addy. Yeah. Oh, I was, I was just going to say, I think that we would also be remiss not to mention the, the Washington Post story that came out yesterday that had um, more than a dozen uh, women employees of, of the Washington NFL team who um, alleged that there had just been constant sexual yeah. harassment, um, often by people in Dan Snyder's close circle. It was, it was really remarkable reporting, and it's proof that, um, you know, the culture of of this team is um is is deeper than the name um mm -hmm. and and it's going to require a lot more work to dismantle uh these oppressive racist sexist structures um than, than just changing the name but i think that it would be um you know we should we, i'm just amazed as ever by the bravery of these women to, to speak out on, on the record yeah, and final word, Van. Do you uh, do you agree with Sudeep about the fundamental changes that the corporate community have been able to make and will continue to make uh, based on the on the Black Lives Matter movement? I, because I was beginning to fear that we're not talking about it anymore. It's out of the news now, and maybe one more time we're just going to move on and not do anything. How do you? Are you hopeful? Uh, we'll see. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, obviously the bottom line is what matters and people have, you know, companies are worried about their bottom lines right now. Um, it, while protests are still ongoing in the cities, I historically, you know, um, 
that has only gotten people so far. I'm not saying it, you know, there haven't been real changes and they aren't important and good. Um, but it, it strikes me that uh, when, when protests simmer down, when uh, Black Lives Matter, when sort of the, the movement on the street is less present in folks' minds, there will just be less financial impetus for these companies to act. Um, and that's, mm-hmm. that's the way of the world. That's the way that the, the market works. If you're relying on them to get rid of every single injustice, uh, you know, you're going to be uh, disappointed a whole lot of times. Right. Okay. Hey, thank you so much, panelists, for uh, excellent insights into the uh, news of this week. Eddie Baird from BuzzFeed, Sudeep Reddy from Politico, and Van Newkirk from The Atlantic. We always ask you during the week, we were all so busy with so many news sites and so many stories, that something does sort of ring our bell or catch our attention uh, that you might want to share this morning as a favorite moment. Eddie, want to kick us off your favorite story of the week? Sure. Um, you know, I, I was I was going to say my favorite story of the week was that post story. Um, uh, yeah. Okay. But but um, I figured I could also find something a little uh, a little lighter. Um, and so uh, I thought back about um, my uh, you know things things I read this week that made me laugh. And the funniest thing that I read this week um, in in an awful in an awful time, I laughed at this New York Post story that was headlined. Teens are dressing up as mask wearing grandmas to try to score alcohol, uh, <laughs> which I thought was very funny. Um, apparently, uh, 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 let me say this podcast does not condone underage drinking. However, I you. found it absolutely hilarious uh, to learn that apparently some teenagers have been embracing these mask mandates. Um, adding a little gray paint to their hair, wearing um, a baggy dress, and then going to buy alcohol and not getting ID'd because they look like grandmas. The downside of wearing a mask, huh? Yeah. (laughs) Sure, downside, yeah. (laughs) Uh, How about it, Sudeep? So I have been uh, just uh, entranced by newspaper clippings from a century ago. They keep popping up in my Twitter feed. Uh, people, uh, people, pictures of people wearing masks uh, universally in 1918 uh, and 1919 dealing with the Spanish flu. Um, and there's a clip that uh, came across my screen uh, from November 1918 in the Labor Journal newspaper in Everett, Washington, uh, a little clip of a newspaper um, that that uh, leads with um, pe- there are people who are refusing to wear a mask because they think it's foolish or unnecessary. Uh, and the, the guidance from this newspaper says, if there's anybody who is unable to buy or otherwise obtain a mask, he should be given one. And if he doesn't, if he can buy and wear a mask and doesn't do it, he should be compelled to take a walk with a policeman. So uh, the, in, in so many ways, humans don't learn their lessons. And in this case, uh, we have the lessons from a century ago. I think eventually we will learn them. Eventually the policemen will get involved and uh, eventually we will come out of this, but it's going to require a lot of people to cause a lot of trouble first. And the fact that it took so long, right? Exactly. Exactly. Hi, Van. What caught your attention? So I am all in, I'm a you know, huge basketball fan. I'm all in on the NBA uh, restart that is uh, in, in the process of happening right now. 
Um, and the thing that just gives me infinite uh, laughs right now is what's being called the NBA campus hotline. So if you don't know, you know, everybody, all, the NBA is trying to restart its season in a bubble in Disney World um, in Orlando. And it basically requires everybody to follow all these rules to not catch coronavirus. And one of their uh, rules for uh, one of their ways to enforce it is a uh, anonymous hotline by which players can report other players bad behavior or not wearing masks or leaving the premises and players are already calling it the snitch hotline um, and it's just <laughs> the added element in competition of the ability to maybe even like make your opponent lose games by, by snitching on them through an anonymous hotline we needed this before this is great this is good drama the nba is like unrivaled in its creation of like petty drama and that is why it is the best sports league yes <laughs> all right like, well, you know uh, sorry i just have to say you know <laughs> that kyrie irving is on that line right now right now all day <laughs> Oh, I love it. I love it. And I hate with my favorite story to uh, get to end with a downer. But I must say, I cannot get this out of my mind. The story we've read so much about the pandemic uh, and tragedies and family with families across the country. The story that struck me this week out of San Antonio, Texas, you probably saw it, a young man, 30 years old, uh, dying of COVID. He was reckless enough to go to a COVID party got the disease. He's in the hospital. He's dying. His family's not there. Nobody there to hold his hand. And as he's dying, he turns to his nurse and says, I think I made a mistake. I thought this was a hoax and it's not. And boy, that just struck with me and I just can't. It's so, so sad. And, uh, 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 without naming names, I just want to say that, uh, there is one national leader, who suggested this was all a hoax and that one national leader was not Dr. Anthony Fauci. Uh, on that point, thank you, Addie Baird. Good to have you back. Thank you, Sadiq Reddy. Great to have you here as well. And Van, it's good having you on board. Hope you'll come back again. Thanks, Bill. Uh, tell us, everybody, how they can follow you when you're not here on the Bill Press pod. Uh, Sudeep? Uh, I'm uh, at Reddy on Twitter, R-E-D-D-Y. At Reddy, R-E-D-D-Y, on Twitter. And Addie Baird? You can find me on Twitter at Addie S. Baird. Okay. How about you, Van? I'm not on social media, but you can email me at van at theatlantic.com. There Damn, you go. that's so healthy of you. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, excellent conversation. Thank you all for listening as well. It's great to have you with us here on today's roundtable. We ask you again, if you haven't already done so, please subscribe to the Bill Press Pod so you're one of our regular team members. Or if you're listening to this podcast, just pull up the Bill Press Pod, click on subscribe, and you are in. And I invite you to follow me on Twitter as well, at Bill Press Pod, at Bill press pod that's it for today's podcast have a great weekend stay strong stay safe stay healthy and come on back and see us on the next edition of the bill press pod